Mark chapter 5, I want you to notice again with me tonight, verse 1 of this text, and I want you to take notice of a very simple transition that, frankly, is anything but simple in its message and its implications. It says in verse 1, and they came over, they came over unto the other side of the sea. Now again, beloved, at first glance, it's just a simple observation The disciples are in a boat. They're traveling across the Sea of Galilee, and sure enough, they made it to the other side. That's what it says. And verse 2, you'll notice, says, they got out of the ship. They crossed over, and they got out. Not unlike, by the way, what these same fishermen had done in their lives many, numerous times before. Except... Except in this case, there's a couple of very important distinctions. The first one you'll notice goes back to chapter 4 and verse 35. It says, In the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Jesus saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. All right, so in other words, follow this. This specific uh, command, if you will, or this specific trip, of all of these people coming over that sea was attempted precisely because they were obeying the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is to say that they are sailing in the perfect will of God. Jesus said, let's go over. And they are. And they made it. Now, granted, it's evening. That's what the Bible says. It's evening tide. It's getting dark outside. It's not a good time. It's certainly not the perfect time to go out and to go sailing, but it is the will of God. That's the first distinction. The second thing you'll notice is everything after Jesus' command. Look at chapter 4 again. For example, verse 37. It says, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full, in other words, full of the water. Now, folks, I don't know what you think about verse 37. But what that verse actually is, at face value at least, is an unmitigated disaster. This is a great storm of wind. This wind comes down still to this day, down off the Golan Heights, and just just wreaks havoc on that, which is really technically a lake. The waves, the Bible says, have beaten against the boat so hard. It says that the ship is full of water. It's full. It's dark. The storm is relentless. The boat is sinking. They're all going to drown. I don't know if you've ever thought about ways to die and ways not to die. I have, especially when I was a boy. But I really don't want to drown. In the dark. In a terrible storm. They're going to drown even though they are clearly in the will of God. So you see, beloved, between the command of chapter of of chapter 4 and verse 35, let us pass over, Jesus said. And the fulfillment of that command in chapter 5, they came over and they made it between all of that, his command and the fulfillment, they made it. Between that, there is this dark, terrifying, threatening storm. Which brings me tonight to this pulpit. Now, how many of you notice it's a different pulpit? How many of you, I don't know, whatever. (laughs) 
I switched it, obviously, from our usual pulpit as an illustration. This one is a whole lot smaller. I should have lost a few pounds before I decided to do this because <laughs> I'm, I'm so exposed up here, I feel like. Whatever. In any case, on the first Saturday of each month for the past 35 years or so, our men have joined in prayer in one of the rooms of our church. For many of those years, I have prayed specifically behind, as the men can tell you, this old wooden pulpit, either behind it or beside it. Eighty years ago, this pulpit stood at the Westside Baptist Church in West Palm Beach, just a few miles south of here. It was given, or offered to us, I should say, when their old, old building was sold, and I wanted it. And so Louise and I took it, and we restored it in our garage when we lived in Egret. And since then, it has remained somewhere on church property. And of course, this pulpit has a special connection to our church, to all of us here, since it was Westside Baptist Church that had the vision to start a mission in Jupiter to begin what is now Beacon Baptist Church, and that was back in June of 1956. Some time ago, while I was reading through the old archives of the Westside Baptist Church, I came across some bulletins and some church announcements, and I was fascinated to read some of the guest speakers that stood behind this pulpit, men of God that Pastor Lamerson had invited to come to speak to his dear people. And it was a blessing to me to read that Lester Roloff stood here and sang and preached the Word of God. And I would see in another bulletin that John R. Rice was here, that he preached behind this pulpit, and Tom Wallace and Tom Malone and, and so many others who preached and taught and sang while standing here behind this pulpit. But one of the guests that I took special note of was the beloved songwriter and evangelist named Ira Stanfill. So many of the gospel songs that I sang when I first got saved as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, were penned by Stanfill, including songs like There's Room at the Cross for You. He washed mine eyes with tears, mansion over the hilltop. The most familiar of his hymns was one that he sang from this pulpit right after he shared his testimony back on that warm evening in June of 1956. Iris Stanfill not only endured the trial of his wife leaving him and the ministry for worldly pursuits, and then subsequently her dying in a car accident, he also felt the sting of fellow believers and other preachers who criticized him and gave scorn as a preacher. But in addition to that, soon he battled his own physical trials with a brain tumor. One night when he was at his lowest point, Stanford was driving his car to a meeting, and he was feeling like perhaps the critics were right, and he's not married, and maybe he should quit. He thought about the faithfulness of God and the omniscience of God. And it was then that he wrote the words to the song, I don't know who holds tomorrow. I know who holds tomorrow. You know, many times through these years, I have prayed behind this pulpit innumerable times. And as I've done so, I've thought about the fact that he's saying those words, and I thought about the words 
and the fact that that brother stayed faithful to the Lord until the day that he died. During COVID, when our men could not meet together for a few months on the first Saturday of the month, I went into the room alone, and I prayed right here, and I thought, during that time, many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. When Louise was taken home, when one of our dearest prayer warriors who, went, who would attend always the men's prayer meeting when he was taking home, Jim McLean, it was by this same pulpit that I prayed and was reminded of that song and that man's faithfulness. And then, one day, I'm looking at those archives long ago, and I realize that Mr. Stanfill sang that hymn to those dear people at Westside Baptist Church on the very week. It's right there in the bulletin. On the very week that they decided to have their first meeting to begin the ministry here in Jupiter and establish Beacon Baptist Church. And you know, I thought they had no idea what souls would be reached by the faithful efforts and sacrifices of beginning a church north of them. But I, for one, am grateful that they trusted God as they joined with Him in singing those familiar words. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. You know, John Morris walked into Westside Baptist Church and unsaved. It's probably hard for you to believe. That boy was a heathen before he got saved. He'll tell you. He heard Lazine Lamerson preach the gospel from this pulpit, and that brother got saved. I thought about the words of that hymn many, many times. It says, I don't worry o'er the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what is ahead. You see, folks, when Jesus told the disciples to cross over, they didn't know that there'd be a storm. But he did. They didn't know that it would get dark and dangerous. But Jesus did. And you know, folks, it's not just that he knew it. It is also that he had the power to control it when he wanted to. It's interesting because he also knew something else. Look at chapter 4, verse 36. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. In other words... Jesus is preaching from the boat. If you know the story, you know the chapter, he's preaching from the boat. Just right there, let's go, he said. Even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. In other words, all these people are hearing Jesus teaching and preaching, and all of them can't get in that one boat. There's no room for them. Most of you, I think, are very familiar with the three words at the end of verse 36, other little ships. And you know, again, there's nothing unusual about that on any given day. On the Sea of Galilee, there would have been dozens of boats and ships toiling in the waters for fish and for travel. But note this, because in this context, it goes back to what we're talking about. The Scripture is very careful to tell us why that these other little ships are in the water in the first place. It was Jesus' command. Let's go over to the other side. Let's go over in this little boat, and let's go to the other side. And the Scripture says, because of that. It was, 
our Lord who led our disciples and whomever else was in all those other little ships. There's something else you'll notice about it. Look at verse 36 again. It says, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him, with him, other little ships. Now, folks, I want you to notice it doesn't say there were other little ships near him or across from him or in addition to him. It says that they were, the interesting preposition, they were with him. Other little ships on that day in the sea were with what? They were with the bigger ship. They were with the lead ship. They were with the discipleship. See what I did there, Kevin? I did a little pun just for him. It doesn't say that. It says that they were with him. Why were they with him? Because he was the one who gave the command. He was the one for why they were responsible for why they were there in the first place. And I'll say it again. This one little detail adds additional truth, I think, for all of us in this scripture. We're reminded tonight, I am, about the Christian life and three points that this pulpit all illustrate as well. The first lesson we're reminded of, number one, is a lesson about trials, about trials, and specifically the fact that you're not alone. You are not alone in your trials. In other words, whatever trial or affliction that you're enduring or you're in the midst of right now, and most of you are, it is always important to remember that other people are or have been through a similar, if not the same, trial. Every servant of God that I mentioned, whoever spoke behind this pulpit, the ones I just named, they're all gone. Lester Roloff preached behind this pulpit. He died in a plane crash, a plane that he himself was piloting. He's gone. Two of the men that I read about died of an illness. They're in heaven. You're not alone of your trial. You say, Pastor, why is that so important to know? I can tell you why. Because Satan's always wanting you to think that you're all alone. Satan wants you to believe that you're all by yourself. In whatever trial you're going through, whatever storm, it's the Elijah complex. I alone am left. No, the Bible's very clear to tell us in 1 Corinthians 10, there hath no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. You know, if these disciples got off of that ship, and they got off on that eastern shore, and they started to say, man, let me tell you, about this storm. This was the mother of all storms. The perfect storm that we just went through. If they're about to brag or talk about and how it was the absolute worst storm on the Sea of Galilee that's ever been seen and they experienced it, well, actually, we know that there were a lot of ships. There were other little ships that endured the very same storm. In fact, because they were little, their experience would have been tougher. So that for the disciples going through this trial, you understand that their experience was not singular, it was actually similar. And so it is with all of here tonight. Satan wants you to think you're alone in your grief, in the heartache. 
And when I read the words of Ira Stanfield and saw that his wife left the ministry, I thought about a dear preacher in Chattanooga whose wife did the same thing, and that brother's heart was broken, and how he was blessed by his brother's experience and faith. Robert Louis Stevenson, the great Scottish novelist, he was once asked what enabled him to think so deeply and so empathically in all of his writings. Stevenson, who wrote Treasure Island, you know, and Kidnapped, and Arabian Nights, Dr. Jekyll, and so forth, he said that it likely goes back to his childhood. He was very sick as a boy for a period of time in particular, and he nearly died. He spent many, many nights awake throughout the entire night because of a hacking cough. And with nothing but a candle back in those days when he was alive, through those dark nights, he would be gripped by fear, by terror, and literally just hoping and longing for the morning sun. What saved him, he said, was a loving Scotch nurse, Alison Cunningham, to whom he later dedicated one of his books. He said that on the very worst nights of all when he was in terror and just couldn't sleep. She would come and she would carry him in his bed over to a window. And they would open up this window so that he could see in that silent and dark night two or three lit up windows across the way. And Stevenson said she would tell, we would literally tell each other that those were other sick children who were also just waiting for the dawn. A frail child looking into the darkness, and just, he said, I took comfort. It saved me, it rescued me. He took comfort that there were others like him who were waiting for morning. So that early in life, he learned about other little ships. And beloved, on this November evening, it is an important reminder that whatever your storm and whatever our trial, whatever the affliction or the trouble We who are tossed at sea are never alone. In fact, the Bible says He, Jesus, was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. It's a lesson of trials. The second thing I want you to notice, number two, is a lesson of trust. Go back to chapter 4 and look at verse 35 again, would you? And the same day, when the even was come... He saith to them, let us pass over into the other side. Now think about that. I have many times deliberately the Lord Jesus allowed it to be sunset. Deliberately, apparently, he waited to dark and then commanded the disciples, let's sail across the sea. Now I want to ask you a question. Did the Lord know that on that darkened journey, a sudden storm is going to arise and scare the disciples half to death? By the way, if you're scared half to death, I never understood that expression. (laughs) Twice, do you die? I think maybe, right? I don't know. I think about these things. Did God know this was coming? Did our Lord know what was in store for his apostles? Well, of course he did. As a matter of fact, we're not going to study this tonight, but God intended that storm to be a part of that day's curriculum. This was a time of teaching and learning just as important as the instruction they had just received earlier 
on the seashore. Sort of a field trip, if you will. And as God had prepared this storm for the unsuspecting disciples, he notices and he knows that in that darkness, when the even was come, according to his own plan, there are all these other little ships. Which means, beloved, these same little ships are going to pass through the same great storm and the same darkness. In other words, what God intended for the 12 is also going to impact a lot more than just they. These ships would encounter the same storm, and because of their size, as we noted, probably be battered even more, greater consequences. But here's the lesson for me. Through this almost casual reference, the Spirit of God reminds us that God knows about them. That God's aware of them. That those same little ships will need the same miracle, the power of God, to save their lives. Ira Stanfield wrote as his last stanza these words of that, that, that song. I don't know about tomorrow. It may bring me poverty. But the one who feeds the sparrow is the one who stands by me. And the path that be my portion... Maybe through the flame or the flood. But his presence goes before me and I am covered in his blood. Amen. He sang it from here. The ships, they didn't escape his eye, his attention, his love, his heart, his purpose, his will, or his discipline. And why? Because... Not only are you not alone in your trial, beloved, but you're also not forgotten. Not by him. You know, you think about the famines, the judgments of God that he sent to Israel. And, and you know, you wonder, was God, was God trying to send a message of warning to the Ahabs and the Jezebels of the land, the kings and the queens, and at the same time allowing everybody in the land to endure the famine, right? Yes, but did you notice that in the Word of God, He puts these examples for us. He reminds us that there was a widow at Zarephath, and God took notice of her. The poor, the prophets who would not bow their knee, the Bible tells us that He, he numbered them. He knows exactly how many there are in the land at that time. He had them all numbered, and every one was remembered by God. And so it is that regardless of the circumstances, when there's, when there's a revolution or a great depression, if there's a war or a crisis or an earthquake, whatever it is, the mature and understanding Christian always understands that no child of God is lost on him. I was thinking the other day about this pulpit, and the fact that it was standing over there right after World War II. And then Vietnam. You think about all the things that this in South Florida, that the church went through, that our country went through, that the world went through. This is why in 400 years of Egyptian bondage, in 70 years of Babylonian captivity, in 60 years of communist oppression, 
in 100 years of colonial slavery, in two years of Joe Biden. I'm just kidding. Take that off the live stream. <laughs> Cut that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, beloved. Whatever the war, whatever the crisis, whatever the magnitude of mass suffering even, always in every case you will find believers, Christians, who have discovered that God is faithful and trustworthy. Always. In every place. Faithful to do His will with the big ships, but faithful also to remember the other little ships also. Caesar, who changed his name to Augustus, which literally means God. Caesar Augustus means Caesar God. This man passes a decree on a whim that all of the world has to be taxed so that everybody in this vast, diverse empire of Rome has to travel now to their hometown, the town of their birth. They have to register to, for the decree of this Caesar God. What a great hand of power and influence. And so much so that the single imprint of his ring would send the entire world into a massive pilgrimage. But notice this. Way down in a little obscure village, down in a place of Galilee, an expecting mother. Inconvenienced and endangered, obviously, by that decree is placed on the family donkey for a long journey. This young lady named Mary would have to travel now all the way to the city of David. Why? Why should she have to suffer for the, for the storms that were enacted by a Roman emperor who was godless and vile? Why should she and thousands like her have to endure the hardships of somebody else's doing. This was somebody else's storm and their making. But beloved, we know, don't we? That Mary and Joseph and all of the other little ships were the apple of God's eye. And we know that throughout the entire miserable period, they were being protected and cared for by Him. In fact, what Caesar God didn't know is that his great decree only served to allow Scripture to be fulfilled so that Christ would be born as prophesied in the city of David. Other little ships are a reminder. They are a lesson that God is always worthy of our trust. Pastor, I'm out here in the storm. I thought I was in the will of God. I did what I thought was right, and I moved my family over there, and as soon as I got there... You know, Adonai Judson took his, his wife, first of all tried to go to India and was sent back and went to France and ended up in Burma and then his wife dies. And Satan puts the thought, see? No. God knew all along. We don't know. We don't know about tomorrow. But we know who holds tomorrow. Third thing. It also reminds us, number three, of lesson of triumph. Verse 38 again. And he, Jesus, was in the hinder, the, the rear part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Can you imagine? 
this is a terrible storm. I mean, there's water filling the boat. The Lord's been ministering and ministering, and he's weary. And the waves that terrified the disciples rocked him to sleep. He didn't have any reason to be afraid. He's God. That's why they said, what manner of man is this? Well, he's God, the God-man. That's what manner he is. Verse 38, and he was in the hinder part of the sea, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Think about this for a minute. When the disciples, terrified as they were, came to Jesus, and they cried out, Master, do you care that we perish? Let me ask you a question. Have you thought about this when reading this? Who do you think the we is in the text? Do you suppose that they were thinking about all those other little ships all around them? Do you care, do you care that we all pair out here? I don't think so. Even though it's likely that the people in those little ships were neighbors, friends, colleagues, and loved ones, it may be that Peter's mother-in-law from Capernaum was on that little ship. I wonder if he's concerned about her. And yet, note this carefully. When the disciples came to Jesus for help and for rescue, as was wise of them to do, when they essentially prayed, the answer to their prayer didn't just bless them. It influenced and it blessed all those other little ships as well. When Jesus said, peace be still, because of those apostles, the entire sea was quiet. I think about the trials of Pastor Lamerson. And I know what the trials of ministry are like, and he was faithful to the very end. I think about the fact that he had a vision to start a church. And Kevin Besaw, you're saved because that man who stood behind this pulpit had a vision to start this church. And many, in the, many of you in this room are. I think about the trials as I read and studied the life of Ira Stanfill. And they were deep and they were rough. Joe Ford, the very first pastor that Westside installed. Over on Fern Street, there's a little church building. It's a Seventh-day Adventist church now. It was the first church building of what was, would become Beacon Baptist Church, Jupiter Baptist Church. And Joe Ford and some of the men were sawing some wood. And in the midst of sawing the wood, in his first year of pastoring, something happened in his hearing and the sawing would not leave his mind. The sound constantly. And it drove him from the pastorate. And he had to go back to Chattanooga. What a trial. And I think about the trial of Lester Roloff. Not just dying in a plane crash, but for years before that, battling with the welfare department in Texas and having shingles all over his body and being in jail. And that's why this pulpit reminds me that those trials were not wasted, that those storms they went through birthed a church, souls that were saved, lives that were changed and encouraged and encourages me to keep running the race. And I'm going to say this to you. The trial you're going through, the storm you will go through, if you're faithful, if you go to the Lord, that answer to prayer from the Lord doesn't just impact you, it impacts all the other little ships around you. 
your children, people you never know. There are things that happen in and around us in this life that we will never, ever understand. We will never see the purpose of it. But with God, you just know this. It always ends in triumph. As Stanfill saying, on that Sunday, June the 3rd, 1956, from this pulpit, every step is getting brighter. As the golden stairs I climb, every burden's getting lighter. Every cloud is silver-lined. There the sun is always shining. There no tear will dim the eye. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds the future. And I know he holds my hand. And God's people said... Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. You know, it's an amazing thing when you consider that the Lord Jesus led them into this storm. If you know the Gospels very well, you know that there was another occasion that he sent them. One time he wanted to go with them, another time he wanted them to go on their own. He sent them into a storm. It's an amazing thing. And you know, if you're shallow, or if you're worldly minded or carnal minded, or if you're unsaved, you would look at something like that and say, wow, why would anybody do that? But if you're God and you're omniscient and you know what the future holds and you know that these men are going to need to have faith because they're going to take the gospel to the whole world, then you know that this trial is glorious. They will build their faith. And it's a wonderful thing to know that God is in control. And that he knows. And that at any moment, if it is his will, he can simply say, peace be still. There was no fanfare here. He just said, peace be still. And he can do that for us and you. And he will if it's in his will. I don't know what your situation is, your trial, your, your heartache, your storm. But I hope you know that it ends in triumph if you're saved. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. That's where we're going. The eternal kingdom of God. Pastor, I'm here today, and I'm a Christian. I'm saved by the grace of God, but I needed this message. I needed a reminder, and God has spoken in my heart about something. With heads bowed, who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building as I lift mine, and amen, and amen. We've all been through them, trials, storms. But there are no storms. There is only triumph where God is leading us. So you know what? You can trust a God like this. If you want to cry out to him, Master, we perish, Jesus welcomes that. He said to them, how? How is it? Why do you have no faith? He was trying to build their faith, and he wants to build ours. Father, bless this time of invitation, Lord, as we as we settle our hearts on your word and your will. Thank you, God, for the reminder in this great chapter that they made it to the other side. That when your son said, let us go over, then in the next chapter it says they made it to the other side. And in between that storm, with little ships and the big one, 
everything was going to be all right in the Father's house. Help us to trust you, Lord. And in so, do, in so doing, live faithful lives to the very end. We'll praise you for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.